Crazy love, eh? I think Allison Hunter's kind of demonstrating crazy love, don't you? Ending up in Botswana, 23 years old. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? We got a group of ladies in our church who we call inward. They do some really crazy love. They go down to Bourbon Street on Wednesdays and visit with the dancers. They've been ministering to that community on Bourbon Street now for a couple of years. I heard last night that the lady's body that washed up on the beaches of Mississippi was somebody they knew. Jaron Lockhart, 22. She worked at the club where they do the breakfast several times a year. And we are praying somehow that Jared's terrible death will draw many people to the Savior that somehow will have open doors. And you can make that prayer as well for the sorrow and shock her friends feel and for the ladies who go there every week that somehow God will minister through them to touch that community. Some days you feel like you're doing hand-to-hand combat with the devil, you know. It's just been one of those weeks. Just found out this morning from one of our people what they have seen in the Orleans Parish Prison the conditions that people live in that are locked up in our community. I'd read the editorial. I know the sheriff and have prayed for him and been a guest at the prison at his request. But it breaks my heart to hear any time there is inhumanity you may be saying, well, what in the world can possibly make a difference in a world this messed up? And I will tell you that the Apostle John lived in a world that was messed up too. And those first believers in the Lord Jesus came from all kind of backgrounds and histories just like we do. And he said love would change our world. That God's love had been demonstrated to us in Christ and that if we dared to love in this crazy way in our day and time, God would make a difference. In the lives of people, our love would draw them to the Savior. John said, this is how you tell 
a fake Christian from a true one. This is how you know you are practicing authentic Christianity. Love, 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 love is what shows you are genuine. And if you don't have it, brother, don't tell anybody you're a Christian. You'll ruin the power of the gospel. You'll sound like an empty barrel and a clanging cymbal. Love authenticates our witness. And it's more than a love your mother kind of love your brother sort of love. It's a love your neighbor kind of love your enemy sort of love, just like the young people sang about. And this crazy kind of love that loves the enemy, that loves the stranger, that loves the neighbor, this is the love that changes the world. Love first is the series I'm in. Love first. Love first in your marriage. Love first with your children. Love first at your school. Love first in your job. Love first where you live. First love. John writes in his first letter, 1 John chapter 2. Begins with a statement, my dear children... He's an old pastor, you know. He's been around a long time. He calls them children over and over again. He speaks these terms of endearment as he writes the letter because he loves them. He is the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was startled by the love of Christ. He never got over it. It changed his life forever. He went to his grave writing about the love of God manifested in Jesus. My dear children, he says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. You got it there? 1 John 2, 1. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the holos cosmos, the whole world. We know that we have come to know him. We know, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him but if anyone obeys his word God's love is truly made complete in him this is how we know we are in him whoever claims you make this claim whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. 
There's a must walk. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Aren't you glad? Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. He ends with this note on darkness. Stumbling in the darkness. I learned last night that my Aunt Jane stumbled in the darkness. She got up in an airplane to go get a drink of water. In the middle of the night, people were sleeping. She couldn't see. She tripped over a man's feet stuck in the aisle. Broke her femur. Took three months. I didn't know the story till last night. I knew she'd fallen. I didn't know it was in the darkness. John says people stumble around. They hurt themselves. They break themselves because they're walking in darkness. How do, you, how do you turn the light on in your life? How do you turn the light on? You love. You love. You turn the light on with love. You love, light fills up your mind, fills up your heart, fills up your eyes. You, you, you lose the love, and you're in pitch black, stumbling around, hurting yourself and others, not knowing where you are going. Back up your claim. Walk in forgiveness. Scripture says here, I write these things to you that you do not sin. How many want you go out there and sin? Probably not too many, maybe a few. Hey, did you read about that uh, study that was just, just done on morality? And they found out as they did this study, that people in general cheat a little. Not a lot, but a little. They, just as a matter of course, exaggerate a little, make themselves appear a little smarter. If they self-report on tests, they end up getting a couple more right than if somebody else grades the test. People want to be good. And they want to tell themselves they're good. And they feel like they're good if maybe they cheat on a rich person who's got more money than they need so they'll never miss it. 
But they don't cheat on a black person or a, a blind person that cannot see what's happening. They'll steal from a man with sight, but not with a, from a man who's blind. They want to see themselves as good people. But if they really honestly inventoried their life, how they do their taxes, how they take their tests, how they talk about themselves and others, they would discover they're a little bit dishonest. The poison of it is that little white lies hurt people too and sometimes turn us in to bigger liars than we ever wanted to be. The poet wrote, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. You start practicing with the little stuff, just fudging, because you're a good person. You don't want to do blatant dishonesty. Start fudging just a little. And it rolls into crisis and disaster. John says, I don't want you to sin. There was a time when people thought of themselves as desperate sinners who watched everywhere for temptation and tried not to get in it. But now we seem to be more people who think of ourselves as good. Who just do a little bit of exaggeration, not too much. John says, I don't want you to sin at all. I'm writing these things to you so you won't sin. But the real key to sin uh, and resisting temptation... It's not thinking about your sin as little. But thinking about the Lord who saved you. In two ways. The first way is this. He is the atoning sacrifice for your sin. That's how John says it here. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. His sin satisfies, or his, his righteousness, his sacrifice satisfies the judgment of God upon sin. And so we who call ourselves by the name of Jesus ought to every day wake up knowing Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He paid for all my sin. And to come to him honestly... And regularly and confront the sin in our lives and confess it. Receive his forgiveness and walk with confidence in his world. Jesus never sinned. He walked in perfection. You can't do that. But you can walk in forgiveness, can't you? You can know every day you're forgiven. Not just about the little things, but about the big things. Not just about the small errors you make on a daily basis, but the deep flaws in your personality and your character. The way you carry yourself in the world. Your shortcomings that are glaring to your spouse, maybe, or your kids. Even those things God forgives. 
The things that trouble you and plague you and you wake up every day and they feel like a, like a burden on your back. God's a forgiving God and if you come to Him and confess your sin, He cleanses you. And you need that, sister. You need to walk in forgiveness. You need the confidence of His forgiveness that follows you like a tide every day that you live. That He is continually cleansing you. You don't need to live beat up by your sins and your failures. Jesus Christ died on the cross to liberate you from that sack of guilt and shame that you tow around all day. So cut it loose. You are forgiven. Hallelujah. Receive it. Believe it. Live in it. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And not for ours only, but for the sin of the whole world. Sometimes I feel so burdened by the brokenness of this community. And I repent of our corporate sin. But I can't live under the condemnation of the failures that we together are experiencing. For my part, whatever it may be, I receive the forgiveness of God too, even for that, so I can walk in my community in confidence, knowing that whatever I've contributed to the sickness that is around me, Jesus forgives that too. Maybe I can't put my finger on it. Maybe it's my cowardice. Maybe it's my silence when I should have spoken up. Maybe I have a powerful position that I haven't used for the good of the gospel. Maybe I have influence that I have misused. But whatever it is, however it falls, Jesus forgives me of that too so I can walk into the meeting tomorrow with a confidence that I am forgiven. Praise the Lord. I can keep my chin up and I can be his advocate and his spokesman in a community that needs him. And I say advocate because I have an advocate. And you do too. And that's the other way you must walk. You got to walk in forgiveness knowing that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for your sin. And you walk knowing that you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You've got an advocate. He's on your side. He comes alongside. John uses the word paraclete here. Yes, it's the word that's used in the Gospel of John, chapters 14 and 16, to describe the work of the Holy Spirit, the one who is called alongside of us to be our comforter and friend. Jesus is our advocate. He's our paraclete. And somebody is accusing you today. Maybe a family member, maybe an employee, maybe an employer, maybe a fellow student who is pointing their finger at you and saying, you say you're a Christian, but look at how you live. And they don't believe what you say, and they're accusing you. And the scripture says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. So watch out when you accuse somebody, okay? We don't want you playing the devil's role in somebody's life, okay? But if you're, on, if you're under a cloud of accusation, even from yourself, if in your mind and heart you're accusing yourself every day of being fake, of being a fraud, of being a hypocrite, of not measuring up, of not doing what you say you're going to do, if these accusations are coming at you, I want you to know, you have an advocate. 
with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's called alongside you. And if the devil comes into the court of heaven and says, Have you seen David Crosby's behavior lately? That man's as fake as he can be. Jesus, the righteous one, says to the Father, He's one of mine. Maybe he says, Yeah, he's a mess. But I paid it all when I died on the cross for him. And he's one of mine. He belongs to me. You know, that's the only standing I have before God now and in eternity. That Jesus is my advocate, that he's the atoning sacrifice. All I've got is Jesus. I don't have anything else. I'm not kind of keeping some record of how good a dad I've been or a citizen I've been. I'm not counting on that, folks. If you're counting on that, I want you to get that page in your book and rip it out and throw it away. Burn it up quick. Get rid of it. Destroy the evidence that you think you're holding that you're a good person, all right? And just cast yourself solely upon the mercy of the God who loves you and the Christ who died for you and nothing else. You don't need anything else. Nothing else. Just trust in Him. He's your advocate. He's your atoning sacrifice. That's how you live confidently in your world. That's how you walk in forgiveness. It gives you a kind of power to know that you're forgiven. Hey! Some people in the world know what a mess you are. It's okay. It's okay. Live in the new power of your forgiveness. And pretty soon they will see what a change has come. Uh, an elderly gentleman prayed to receive Christ in my presence just a couple weeks ago in the hospital. I led him in the sinner's prayer. My own version. Said, you want to pray a prayer after me? He said, yeah. He'd been so weak, voiced, struggling with his words. But when he prayed this prayer, he prayed it loud and strong. And asked Jesus to come into his heart and forgive his sin. Gave his life to Christ at 80 years old. And his daughter told me, a week or two ago, she said, He's changed. He's changed. His attitude's different. Something happened to him. Yeah. And it'll be evident in you if you let the forgiveness flow. If you walk in the power of forgiveness and grace. Walk in forgiveness. Walk in obedience. Don't intentionally disobey. When you intentionally disobey, you lose the assurance in your mind and heart that you belong to God. You start worrying that you're not really saved. You wonder if God's with you anymore. When you intentionally sin, when you get caught in that snare. Here's how we know that we know Him. How, John? If we keep his commandments. Have you ever considered 
the spiritual repercussions of your intentional venture into sin. What happens to your kids? What happens to your spouse? When you just decide you're going to do it, nobody's around and it's just you, you're not hurting anybody, it's just you, so you're going to do what you know is wrong. You think you can walk out of that encounter in that moment spiritually full, ready to lead your family, ready to care for your, your spouse? You think you can walk out of that moment spiritually as strong as you were the moment before? You cannot! In your own mind and heart, you'll be thinking, what's wrong with me? You lose your legs when you intentionally disobey this is how we know that we know him, the assurance, the confidence that we have that we know him, if we keep his commandments. Say, how do you do that? How do you keep those commandments? You imitate him. You walk in obedience and you walk in imitation. You say, imitate who? Imitate the Savior who said, follow me. From the very beginning, being a disciple of Jesus meant getting up from the place where you are, dropping the nets, leaving the boat, putting one foot in front of the other, and following the Savior who is on his way somewhere. If we claim to know him, we must walk, one, two, three, four, as he walked, following his footsteps. Do what his spirit compels us to do. See what he models in his life and make it happen in me. Lord, how would you handle the situation? What would Jesus do? Charles Shelton asked and wrote the book, In His Steps. But a, big and, a bigger seller even than In His Steps, which is huge in all of published literature, is Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ. More copies than any other book besides the Bible in the history of man, they say. The imitation of Christ. Walk in imitation. It is legitimate. In fact, it is mandated that you ask the question at work, in your family, in your school, what would Jesus do? And what would he have me do? Now, we're not all going to be single like Jesus was. So it's not about being a single Jew in the first century, imitating Jesus. It's about following his heart. Keeping your eyes upon him. Focusing on him. So you won't drop down in the water. Staying in the light. Walking in the light as he is in the light. When you imitate the Savior and the walk you have every day, you are walking in the light as he is in the light. Walking in imitation of the one who saved you. Lord, help us walk this way. Help us walk in obedience. Help us walk in forgiveness, in imitation, and in love. If you say you walk in the light, 
but you hate your brother. You're a liar. And the truth is not in you. You see the call to love that's so powerful? John intends for us to get the word and get the message. It is love that it is to characterize your life that distinguishes you. This is the imitation of Christ. You loving those around you. This is the old commandment as well as the new. To love others as I have loved you. This is what he calls us to do. We give up on love too soon. We think it is too weak. We go with the power instead of the love and think we have chosen the way forward when love is the only way forward. The paper today featured not only Jaron Lockhart's picture on the front, but a few pages in, there's another picture. Years ago, there was a woman lived in this city. Her name was Josie Arlington. She started in prostitution, ended up owning the most famous brothel in Storyville at the turn of the last century. When she died, she was buried over here in Metairie Cemetery. And for whatever reasons, she was buried in a tomb where there is a statue of a young, probably teenage woman, life-size, knocking on the door of that closed tomb. I wanted to know the story. And here's the legend of Josie Arlington, who was a real person in this town. She got into a life of prostitution. And her father disapproved of what she was doing. As a young woman, she came home one night from the streets of New Orleans and found that her father had locked the door and would not let her in. This is a picture of her barred from her home. They say she left that closed door and turned to the streets and became the famous Madame of Storyville. I went and took these pictures this morning. The first one I took not realizing that in the second our church is in the background.
And I've used this grave before to say, there may be fathers on this planet who close the door of your life. They close the door to opportunity. They close the door to forgiveness. They close the door, it seems, to your future. Jesus taught us to call God Father, not because earthly fathers are perfect and the Word will always conjure up for us good images, but because everybody needs a father to open the door of their future. Everybody needs a dad who cares about them and loves them and wants the best for them and is ready to receive them. And so Jesus came to say, when you pray, say, Our Father, and if you come to Him, He'll never, ever throw you out. You receive this as good news, rejected one. Young lady... If people who are supposed to love you never did, you know our Father in heaven loves you. And there's nothing you can do that'll kill that love. The door's open for you. If you feel like your Father's always been absent, I want to introduce you to a Father in heaven who is always present. Sometimes a little despair creeps in here. As I preach the truth to people who need it, and they leave the room to continue to live in darkness instead of the light, as I talk to Young people who do not realize what a crisis it is that they learn to love and experience the love of the Father. How desperately they need to stand in grace every day. What a danger they are in if they refuse to do so. If not already, one day you will find that some human being has slammed the door in your face and they will not open it. And you will need the truth that God loves you still. And if, to, if you come to Him, He throws open the door, throws open His arms. He loves it, receiving you back He just loves it. Delight the heart of God today. Face how far you are from Him and say to Him boldly, Here I come. Let's bow together. Father in heaven, here we come, Lord. Broken and weary and smelling of the world from a long week here we come Lord hearts are hurting sorrow grips us
And here we come. We're afraid. We've been rejected. Here today. Here we come, Lord. This is our act of worship. This is what you have called for us to do. Presenting our bodies unto you. So, Father in heaven, Lord of glory, Master of the universe, Savior of our souls, here we come. Lord, I pray for the one who is farthest from you. Today will be the day they come back. In Jesus' name, amen.